Here we talk a lot about different theories, different things related to religion and spirituality, um, different cultures. Let us see if I can talk, first of all. I'm still testing positive for COVID. My voice is still not in top condition. I was just kind of yelling back and forth to my mom through the door about something with AAA with somebody else who's borrowing uh, one of my parents' cars, old cars, that I had previously borrowed that I got a AAA um, battery replacement on maybe a, a couple years ago. I can't remember when, but it seems like it's under warranty, and I gave them the card information, And then they said, I have to physically call myself because I'm the card owner. So that driver left. And now a second driver should be here in like four minutes. And I can't physically come out or give them my card or come to them. I told them because I have COVID and I'm not trying to like infect every single person. Um, So I don't want to meet the AAA person outside. I don't want to infect my family's friend or my mom and so I am trying to do this (laughs) I mean I'm literally at the same house where the car is where the person who is borrowing it is where my mom is and where the driver had previously come to and it's just getting complicated so they might need my assistance let's hope not but uh, I think I explained it properly so that they can get another person. So anyways, um, yeah, today I was kind of studying, like, the oldest religions in the world because I was kind of interested in this idea that I came across where I was like, you know, um, it's interesting how initial beliefs, like things that we get taught growing up, things that we get, um, um, you know, things that we first learn, you know, how there's that kind of, like, bias there. Not to say that there's not faith, um, but I'm just saying, like, if I wasn't raised in the religion that I was raised in, would I be that religion ever? Would I have ever been that religion? Would I have ever followed anything in it? Would I have ever participated in anything with it? And would I have ever had interest in cultures that are, you know, of similar beliefs, particularly thinking about Islam and thinking about Judaism, because they do have a lot of similarities in, you know, um, beliefs in Abraham, Um, a lot of things kind of originating early on around then. Um, as one of the uh, founders of all the religions, I guess overall um, is uh, um, I guess Islam splits off on the end of um, the other son 
of, you know, because Abraham, well, Abram and Sarai had, you know, well, they were having trouble having the baby. And then when they became Abraham and Sarah, um, when their first baby was born, um, and so, um, I guess the Muslim religion of Islam goes towards the, when, when Abram, before they had their first son, Abram had a, I don't know what the title would be, if it would be a servant or a slave girl or a, or a, or Sarah's, Sarai's, um, servant or whatever, I don't know what the label would be, but they basically had another household person that traditionally would have potentially had a baby, uh, did have a baby, um, I think her name was, was Hagar, and she had a baby, and so Islam goes by that son, saying that he was a legitimate son, and so they go by his lineage, um, and Judaism goes by the son's lineage, um, that was the second son to that family, which was through who became Abraham and Sarah, because their names changed once they had, once they were having the baby, and so, um, or maybe they were changed before. I, I'd have to look at the at the exact time frame of that again because it's been a lot. Like there's always details lost, honestly, because these stories I don't like keep up with them all the time, and then I forget details like that. So I can't remember if it was God said Abr- Abram's name is going to be called Abraham, like father of many, as many as the stars. If that was before, um. Sarah got pregnant or after or what um but anyways I guess traditionally um people would have considered that type of servant that Sarah had as a legitimate kid and so that's the argument that Islam makes that technically in all other cultural aspects that would have been the the legitimate firstborn child and then in Judaism, they say, well, that's not the, the blood relative. The firstborn blood relative was this other son. So, <clears throat> I mean, we are, that's already, I wasn't even trying to, like, talk about that. Basically, I was, um, the, the main thing I was kind of wanting to talk about was um, this topic that, you know, when I was studying about old religions, um, one source I came across, it wasn't like a lot of sources, but one source I came across was that, you know, Judaism is the second oldest religion. And, you know, Christian Christian religion comes, um, people practicing Christianity, they say 300 AD, but 300 AD, assuming that, you know, the birth of Jesus was around 180 or so or like 30 AD or something around then I mean we kind of measure a lot of our time in this culture by the birth the birth time period of Jesus 
even if you don't follow that a lot of people will call it common era instead of like whatever that ad auto domini or whatever i can't remember exactly but whatever it's called um ad versus ce um you know people might not say ad they might say c they might say ce but they still use the same year mark for that pretty much the same time period and so they were saying in that source that three around three the year 300 is when christianity started being you know um practiced but before that christianity did exist um it just basically was a a different form of judaism like an offshoot of judaism that wasn't considered judaism it was like a uh considered almost like a cult or considered almost like a like a like a different type of thing it would almost be like you know how there's what what are they called not atheists but um agnostic people you know someone who's agnostic doesn't really have you know they usually aren't formally practicing of a religion but they're not like opposed fully to religion or the idea of god um and they're just kind of somewhere in between i mean that might not be the same thing but it would be almost like someone who kind of has like a different version of a religion like some similarities a lot of traditions a lot of that but then mixed in with a lot of other traditions because not every christian the early christians weren't all jews some of them were other religions and then they converted to christianity and the way they converted wasn't they weren't necessarily doing the same things that the jews were doing they weren't following the jewish traditions so you had different forms of christians um, before 300 AD, and then before that, <clears throat> you had um, Judaism that was, they said, from like 4,000, um, from 4,000 BC, um, which is about 6,000 years ago. Right? Am I doing that math right? Yeah, about 6,000 years ago. Um, And then they say that Hinduism was even before that. Some people say that Hinduism was practiced 90,000 years ago. Now, there is a, a theory on the planet that humans didn't really exist 90,000 years ago that humans were on earth nearly around 6,000 or so years like the earth isn't even like maybe the earth is that old but that humans weren't necessarily there um until around 6,000 years ago and none of us were there 6,000 years ago or 90,000 years ago so at least I wasn't and if I was I don't remember it so there's that issue but I mean I really wanted to I went from that concept to kind of thinking about you know like what what is it that you know things in in Judaism that you know just didn't transfer into Christianity and um 
one thing that I always found fascinating is just one of the many things, but one thing that I definitely found fascinating was um, what's called ta'amim, which are these cantillation marks. Now, it's hard to explain without physically writing it down. But what a cantillation mark is, is it's a, it's a note. It's like a, a marking. So most people know, you know, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah specifically is, well, I mean, Tamim is in, I think it's in all of the Old Testament, but specifically when you talk about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there's what is called Ta'amim, which are these cantillation marks. Um, Ta'amim, I, Ta'am, I don't know how to say it. Um, Ta'ami, or Ta'ame, I don't know, the, I don't know the singular but ta'amim is like cantillations. Um, so basically, if you look at a, a Sefer Torah, for example, the Sefer Torah is written on animal skin. It's, all, it's got this whole kosher process to it. And, you know, it's not divided up by by words and paragraphs all nicely and neatly it's just like a scroll that is just written out right so you have a scroll written out with all these words of the torah um different torah scrolls for each book of the torah um i could be wrong i don't know if the safer torah is just one big scroll or if they have five separate scrolls um, I'm gonna have to look that up, but Google it, you'll find the answer. Um, but yeah, so there's the scroll, and then you kind of scroll with the, with the, with the handles, you know, you move to the place that you want to start reading at. A lot of times they don't touch it with their hands. Um, you'll see people use what's called a yod, which means hand but it's not really your hand. It's like a pointing little, sometimes like a silver or wooden type of a stick that people use to point while they're, you know, um, either chanting with the cantillation marks or the cantillation sounds or um, reading from the Torah. People don't usually read with their finger like that um, because it messes up the lettering, you know, it, you know, there's a whole process. These things are super expensive. Um, so basically, you have this scroll that's not divided up. And if you're very, you know, familiar with it, you know where to find what you're looking for. When If you're not very familiar with it, it gets a little complex. Um, we are lucky that we have books that you can flip the pages easily um, and you don't have to keep scrolling and rolling different things to different passages to like read through it. And you can basically, 
you know, flip around to whatever page number to get where you're trying to go. We have a lot of headings. I mean, these these Torah scrolls don't have any of that headings. They don't have like different like, you know, table of contents or anything. You're just like you start and it's just there. And, you know, so basically when you look at a Torah in a book, it looks differently. Usually it's broken up by books of the Bible themselves, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then if it's a... Alright, well, I'm gonna assume I'm still kind of recording here. I got interrupted by the tow truck situation, as I mentioned, and I don't know how to edit on here, so I don't think it really impacted me. I don't know what I was saying. Um... Something about the Torah scrolls. Um, so anyways, in a yeah, so basically, if you're looking at the Torah in a book, if it has the Hebrew, usually you're going to be reading it right to left. Usually the Hebrew is going to be on the right side of the page, reading right to left the binding of the book is going to be on the right side. Um, That's true for a lot of brands. Art Scroll. um, I I think um, Corin, Corin, Corin Sachs is different. I think they still have the binding on the right, but instead of the Hebrew on the right side of the page, the Hebrew is on the left side of the page. I could be mistaken. Um... Um, that's not ultra important, but usually that's what you'll see. And then Hebrew originally, when it's written, doesn't have the vowel sounds. Now, Hebrew does have vowels, but the majority of the letters that are written, I think there are 22 letters in the alphabet, or they call it the alphabet. And it's 22 letters that aren't considered vowels. Um, there are some, like Yod, which can be like a Y, or an I, or an IE, or an EE kind of sound. Um, there's Aleph, which is like an A or an E sound. Um... Um, there's Vav that sometimes is like a V or takes on like an O sound sometimes. Uh, I don't know if there are any others, but basically those are off the top of my head. And then basically you have just the letters, right? I've never seen a Torah in a book form that's written without the spaces between the letters or anything between the words. Um, but I have seen it written without the vowels and you'll usually see it written with the vowel, the vowels, um, and with the cantillation marks and it's usually going to be divided into, um, uh, there's usually like markings that tell you like 
what the chapter number is in Hebrew, what the verse number is in Hebrew, and there might be some markings on the side that say like the the portion. So is it Hamishi? Is it Sheishi? Like five, six, like what portion of the week is it for the Torah portion called the Parsha? It's split up like that. Usually those are common things you'll probably see. So a lot of times when you when you open up, even if you go to like Barnes and Noble or the library or whatever and just look in a in a in a written Torah book, you'll see all these markings. Usually you're gonna see the Hebrew and the English, or you can get it with only the Hebrew that still has the cancellation markings and the vowel markings, or you can get it with only the Hebrew with none. Um, and sometimes you'll see the, uh, you'll see, I mean, I don't know, if you have Tanakh, Tanakh is um, the Torah, the Ketuvim, which is the writings, and the Nevi'im, which is the, well, I guess I said that backwards, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets and the ketuvim which is the writings so t n and k tanakh um a torah is only going to be the first five books and a tanakh is going to be all of the old testament and then a hamish is going to be the partial readings of all of the torah with the old testament um writings and I don't know, does it have the whole Old Testament or is it only because there's there's something called the Torah portion and then there's the Haftarah portion, the Haftarah portion. It sounds like it's saying the word half Torah. That's not that's not what it is. It's not the same. That doesn't that's not. Uh, that's just my pronunciation. It doesn't mean half Torah, but the way people pronounce it sounds like half Torah. It's half Torah or Haftarah, but it's not the Torah itself. And so it's just the other readings that are parts of the daily Parsha that you would read. So, for example, after the Jewish New Year, the Torah portions start over again from what's called Parsha's Bereshis, which is from the first book of the Bible. Bereshis or Bereshit, depending how you pronounce the S, or sorry, the T sound. Some people pronounce it as an S, some people pronounce it as a T, but it's um, a certain letter that's a T sound. Hebrew has a tet and another T sound. Um, this T sound, a lot of people pronounce it as an S. I, I never understood that. I heard it explained once that, that males pronounce it as an S. Um, like a tough, it's called a tough tough versus a suff which is an s sound um and that males pronounce it with that traditionally and then i've heard it said otherwise that it's maybe like an ashkenazi thing or like a different different sects of judaism pronounce it that way versus another way 
Um, so sometimes when it's transliterated into English, you see things that would end with the T, they write them out with an S at the end. So, um, so where it says Parshas Bereshis, people would say Parshat Bereshit. Same thing. It just is a, it's a transliteration of the T being written as an S. So that first portion is divided into seven days of the week. Um, that's the first portion of the Bible. Let me see where it actually ends. I'm flipping through. The next one after Bereshis is Noyak for Noah. Um, so we start with the beginning, which is what Bereshit means in the beginning. Bereshit. That's like three words in English. In Hebrew, it's one word because they put the particles and everything like into one word. Um, I'm trying to find the ending of this. I'm like flipping. Um, so Genesis 1, 1 through. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to like read this with like all these different languages going on. 1, 1 through 6. 8 1 1 through 6 8 is Parsha's Bereshis, and that's divided into seven different portions. The portions tend to be of different sizes, we're not really going to go into that, but basically, you have the Old Testament starting that way, it's divided up into seven sections. In the Hamish, a Hamish, you have the Rashi and the Rambam which are the uh, um, what do you call it they're basically different commentaries on the actual scriptures that you're reading in the Torah and then you have I guess it's called Onkelos Onkelos is another form of a book where it has um, Hasidus in there too. It has like, um, like Hasidic kind of like, um, what do you call that? Like spirituality. It's kind of like a like a mystical spirituality um, take of commentary added to you know it's like extra that's added to what you're reading in the Torah so a lot of the verses and sections will you can look down at different points the Rashi has an English translation the Rambam doesn't Hasid is also kind of sometimes does sometimes doesn't I've noticed some things like this is a little off point but some things like the, uh, the, uh, the Talmud, you don't really have, like, an English one, like, the page is always in Hebrew writing, I believe a lot of it is actually also in, um, Aramaic, but I don't know Aramaic, like, 
at all other than the letters that are the same ones as Hebrew. I don't I don't know words, not to my knowledge. Um, it was said that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And it just gets so complex. But, yeah, so when you look at the beginning of the very start of the Bible, I mean, that's the easiest place to start because, like, everybody mostly knows the very, very start of it, where it's like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's the very first verse of the Bible, um, the, the stone Chumash, the stone Chumash translates that into English, saying, in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, so, in the beginning of God's apostrophe S, creating the heavens and the earth. Um, and then there's the Hebrew of that. There's Bereshit bara Elohim. But, so in Hebrew, that's three words. Technically, if you don't count all the particles, it's written as three words. Because in the beginning is, um, Bereshit bara is like beginning, um, sorry, that, that in the beginning is Bereshit, um, bara Elohim, and then et Hashemayim va'et Haaretz. So that's the very first sentence that you have. Um, Elohim means gods, plural, technically, but it, you know, it means God technically when you see it written. That's what it's translated as. Um, et, I don't know if et on its own has its has a a meaning of it of the word. Um. um Hashemayim means heavens, the heavens. Ha is the, Shemayim is heavens. So when you see I am at the end, the letters I am or Yod Mem, that means im. Im is plural. Um, and then Va'et Ha'aretz. Aretz is earth or land. Ha'aretz is the earth so you can read it and then it has cancellation marks that show you how you can read it in addition to the vowels that are written and so you have different cancellation marks i'm like tiring myself out by trying to explain this i've never tried to really explain this in my life um you guys get the first takes of this every time so um the cancellation marks. I don't even know if I can like read it. It's kind of like I don't, I'm gonna mess this up, but it's like Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim va'et haaretz. So that's basically how it sounds versus Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim va'et haaretz. You can kind of hear the difference. There's, like, tones involved. 
I used to think that those tones were purely for memorization purposes. And I'm trying to actually study more to figure out why they're there. It says that um, these types of tones were started this type of tone um, the Tiberian version and there are like Ashkenazi and Sephardic and different types uh, that are used traditionally the Sephardic ones tend to sound almost more um, like a like minor key if you put it like that I guess and then I noticed too Haftara sounds different than the Torah ones. Um, so you can tell the difference between the Torah being read versus this. And then Psalms are different. Psalms called Tehillim. And then there's also Proverbs. Those are their own. They have their own type. And then um, Megalos, like Esther, um, the story, um, Megillah, has its own type as well. Where people once a year traditionally listen to the whole entire Megillah being read at a certain time of year. Um, and so, basically, um, these, this Tiberian type of Tamim isn't the oldest type, but it's the one that's most commonly used and is said to be more complex than the older ones I I don't know what the older ones sound like but it was this more common type that's been used I guess lately since the 10th century so like the year 900 and into now pretty much um there were types used before that so there was a type of of tamim or some people call it trope or some people call it cancellations it's basically musical notation that goes with the Torah reading. And you can get like a a, a, a list of them. Um, they all have names. Uh, I, I knew them very briefly at one point in time. I feel like it's almost like, you know, I play, I, I play guitar. I don't really practice. I play piano kind of I don't really practice but there were points in time when I could like read music because I would practice all the time and I would I learned how to read music for piano first when I was a kid so I can like look at the notes and kind of read it if I like look at the lines and like kind of see where the notes are and everything I can kind of look at the music and tell somebody where where what is or like eventually figure out the hand positions on on the on a keyboard um, but I can't just like sight read music. There was a point when I kind of could not very well, but like it was definitely with mistakes, but I could do it better than I could do now. Now I would be totally useless because I don't practice it anymore. And with guitar, I learned it later on in life. Like in, when I first started college, one of my first two or three, I think my third year of college, I learned how to read musical notes, um, even though I had been playing guitar since like eighth grade. Um, and I basically learned through tabs online, basically, and, like, watching people play. Um, and I would just reverse what they did and just, like, do the same thing. And then, you know, that kind of stuff. Or get, like, tab tab manuals, tab books, look up the, look up the chords and stuff like that. So that's how I would equate my ability to 
read cancellation marks. It's like I knew it at one point when I used to study it, but I wasn't really raised with this stuff. And I mean, I, I raised myself with it. I'll put it that way. But I wasn't like raised in school with it. So it was like more of a hobby thing. Um, and basically the cancellation marks, I, um, I know about them just as much as I've told you. And then basically they have names. The way that I've seen how people learn it is their names are written out and they're written out um and then the markings are placed with those um names so there's kanama i'm like reading it from a list i don't have this memorized um it's like a it looks like a little paragraph and it says kanama munak zaraka munak sagol munak and then that's like the end of a section munak revi me uh, Mepak, uh, I don't know what that is. Mapak, Pashta, Munak, Zakef Gadol, sorry, Zakef Kata, that's not Gadol, that's Zakef Katan, and then there's Zakef Gadol. And the way the, so these have the vowels with them. Each of those words that I just said that I have no clue what they mean, they have the vowels with them. And then they each have a mark that's not a vowel that is the mark that represents that note. So I know the very beginning of it, but I don't really know the rest of it too too much i'd have to like listen to it because i haven't heard it recently but it would be like kanama munak zarka munak sago munak i'm not gonna do any more you can tell i'm nasally and i already have bad tonation anyways but that's as much that's i think that's good enough i don't know i'm not gonna do it anymore um but you basically have to know the vowels and the consonants and the words and the cancellation marks as you're reading. So basically, you technically could turn to a portion that you don't even know by heart, open up that portion, and start reading it with the vowels and with the cancellation marks as it's written. And you can learn it. You can study it and get good at it. Um, that's how I learned it. And I, you know, I'm not good at it anymore. And it's not really about being good at it. It's just like, for me, it's more like I like to challenge my mind to do different things. And this is something that I've never come across with anything that I know, other than like maybe learning music. That's the only thing I could say is like, the only thing I found similar, and it's not the same thing, is like when I was young, um, because, you know, I hung out at church so much. Um, we used to sometimes, depending on the service or the, the day or the time period or whatever, or the church we were actually at, me and my friends would, you know, we they would say, turn in your hymnal to like page whatever the heck for 
whatever song you're going to sing for that service, like at that time. And sometimes you might not know the song or sometimes you knew it, but you didn't really know it well. And hymnals, at least the ones that we used, they had the actual musical notes with the actual words. And this wasn't like, these are like songs that are so old. It's like, you don't even really know. You can't really easily follow them. They're not like GCDC, E minor kind of like chord progressions, like contemporary Christian music. They're like weird from like the 1800s and stuff. And like, you're reading this and you're like, I don't even really understand like this form of like, like, um, this form of like talking this form of like words (laughs) like it doesn't make any sense um it would almost be like that like you're reading it and it's um going you know you're saying you're basically reading like a song you've never heard and you're singing along with the notes I would say it's almost the same thing um that's the easiest thing I could say it is. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that, like, the hymnal and the Bible are on any kind of, like, level of significance to each other. I mean, hymns, I mean, they were, like, modified drinking songs. Some of them were. They're not, like, the same thing. Um, but, um, you know, I'm not saying, like, I don't know. I know a lot of people really hold a lot of value to you know the old testament and the torah specifically so i'm not trying to say like okay like these old school like drinking songs that were modified into like christian music is like the same as like reading torah like i don't know everything has its own like spiritual significance to to whatever culture or whatever person of that culture or whoever's valuing it i you know i take things for kind of what they are sometimes like I've had times in my life where I was like oh hymns are way more holy than like contemporary music and then when I learned more about them I was like wait (laughs) you know because we were always taught that like hymns were like significantly more advanced and like holier than like the music that we have nowadays that's like so close to secular music that it's like almost evil and then it's like you find out that, like, they were modifying these bar songs and, like, old, like, Irish and, like, these tunes that were, like, familiar in communities to kind of get people to kind of sing about Jesus and stuff. And then, you know, I'm not saying that the Torah is like that at all, but, um, you know, it's just an interesting kind of concept. But, um... I just, I don't know. I I like it. I like the way it sounds. Um, The one thing that that, um, I noticed, I mean, I haven't been to that many synagogues, but the one thing that I did notice when I did go to one was how musical everything was. It was like they sang the music and they had like a, 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 a cantor that has, usually they have very beautiful voices they're like professionally you know spiritual singers that have like these this knowledge of like these ancient you know songs from generations that you know they're just very like nice sounding it doesn't sound like anything I've heard in like American you know western 
you know, modern day culture. Like, you can tell it's, like, old. And it's just nice to be in a, like, when you're in a service and there's so much musical, you know, there's music everywhere. Um, I always found the contrast so interesting to, you know, how I grew up in Adventism. Because Adventism, a lot of times, they're so, like, concerned about the music and the beat of drums and this music is evil and that music is evil and this music is holy and that music is better and this one's better and like there's so much like argument about everything all the time and I'm pretty sure in Judaism there is too but um, I just found it very um, refreshing to be like at a service that has so much music you know even down to when people were reading the Torah you know, there was still music there, you know, and when people were praying, there was still music, like musical notes, musical sound, um, you know, there was like this kind of, uh, um, I'm really tired and exhausted, and that's why my brain is so slow right now, guys, but, um, what do you call those, like, Gregorian chants, you know, that, you know, in Christianity, they have, like, these Gregorian chant-sounding, like, songs, um, and they're really, like, nice-sounding when you have, like, those echoing buildings, and, like, they're beautiful-sounding, um, a lot of songs that, like, you'll hear Cantor singing aren't too far off from that kind of sound, um, I didn't really see, see choruses, though. I didn't see choruses and choirs. It was more so, like, a single person singing and a congregation singing or a single person chanting from the Torah or the Haftarah or some person praying. Like, there was a lot of involvement. Like, different people were coming up reading different parts of the scripture like that. Different people were saying different forms of prayers um, the rabbi was up there, I think, most of the time, and the cantor was up there a lot of the time, and they kind of helped people, too, and I liked it, too, because not everybody was, like, super, like, knowledgeable of, like, you know, you could tell, like, some people maybe practiced a lot or maybe practiced during the week, and then other people maybe weren't, like, super into the practice of everything, so, and there was never, like, it wasn't, like, judgment or looking down upon people, it didn't seem like, it was kind of, like, some people were just really fast and skilled and, like, didn't really seem like they needed to, like, read anything, and they had it memorized, and then other people were, like, you, like, maybe, like, you could tell there was, like, even, like, the English transliterated version from the Hebrew, so I think everybody who's considered an adult who was bar bat mitzvah had to learn Hebrew at some point and had to do like this whole chanting portion of, um, I don't know how much of it, but a, a significant portion that you have to chant from the Torah and Haftarah to be considered, you know, a man or a woman when, when you're like around 12, 13-ish. And... I don't know if people ever do it, like, way later in older age. I've never seen that, but maybe they do. Um, But I just found it really um, interesting that there's, like, there was, like, that whole, like, 
musical component you know it it was really interesting to me and at the time when I did go to a synagogue I I was able to kind of like follow along and look in the pages and see where people were and I kind of knew where things were at um but I couldn't get up there and like say anything and and they wouldn't call me to do it anyways but I mean um I didn't like know anything like that I was just self-taught kind of studying mostly um and then um, learned with a, with a different congregation for maybe about a year, maybe it was less than a year, I can't remember at this point, but, um, I really like to learn this stuff, I I don't know, I get a lot of value out of it, I think it's, you know, instead of, like, watching YouTube and Netflix and stuff like that, you can just learn it, and then when you get tired of learning it, it's like, all right, like, I can put it down for, like, a day, a week, a month, a couple months, a half a month, a half a year, a year, two years, and then come back to it and be like, oh, I actually want to, like, do this, and, like, you know, I feel like every single question leads to more questions, um, there are no real answers to anything, and so, um, I guess answers are what we make them, right? But I kind of like, I kind of like it just because it's like, there's, there's so many layers that you can learn where it's like, sometimes you're not even learning the Bible. You're just learning like cancellation sounds or like you're learning how to read certain stuff or you're learning like the history of something. Like sometimes it's not even like a spiritual thing or religious thing. You're just like learning it because it's like the history behind it and like all that kind of stuff. Um, it really appeals to me because there's so much depth to like a lot of it and because you know the religion I was raised with came from this religion ultimately I mean a lot of people who believe in Jesus it's like well Jesus was you know Jewish and so who knows what he was doing how his Judaism looked in comparison to modern day Judaism but I do find it fascinating if it is like one of the oldest religions 6,000 or so years old that you know there's still stuff like this that's the writings and all these types of things that are um that people know like for thousands of years people have been like reading this stuff like this or memorizing it and um it's just kind of interesting because a lot of the stuff, you know, I I try to stay connected with like really old ancient things just because I feel like our society nowadays, it just, it just moves so fast. Like literally I've been sick with COVID and I literally thought today was the 25th and I was like, why am I seeing all these like messages and things about like the 26th, the 26th? I kept seeing like emails and stuff and I'm just like the 26th and I'm like, oh shoot, it's the 26th, <laughs> you know, it's like... I I literally didn't even know what day it was, even though I totally thought I knew what day it was half of the half of the morning this morning. And so, um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I like to have fun with this kind of stuff. I try, you know, I spent so much of my life with it being like shoved down my throat as like a, you better do this or else kind of like scare tactic kind of thing, which is like, it was never appealing to me in the first place, but um, I, I kind of just like learning stuff just because it's there to learn and, you know, why not challenge my brain? Why not challenge my beliefs? Why not challenge my own self? Um, when I feel up to it, like, you know, and 
I don't like to get too bogged down in, you know, stuff that I was raised with. Um, And then sometimes I really do like traditions I was raised with and do find, you know, value and believe it. And then other times I'm kind of like, like, maybe this isn't totally for me. Like, I don't mind going back and forth. It used to bother me that I would go back and forth. And now I'm just kind of like, whatever, this is just how life is going to be. Like, I'm always going to be challenging stuff, and I don't think that it makes me any better or worse of a person. Um, I think it, I think it helps, um, you know, I try to keep my mind expanding. Um, it's, it's hard, honestly. I'd say it's, it, it makes life a little complicated. It is actually easier to settle into one thing and just stick with it and just be like, everything else is wrong. This one path thing is right and I'm only going to do this and everything else can just like stay away. You know, like, I, I, I don't know. I like new things. I like my brain to think in new ways. Um, I like to kind of review old stuff that I knew and I'm like, oh, I don't remember this anymore. Um... I like that, um, and that's why I never really get bored, because <laughs> I'm always just, like, there's always something, um, something around if I want it to be, um, oh my goodness, I'm getting really tired, I'm gonna start back to work tomorrow, and, you know, I'm probably gonna have a snack before I go to sleep, but, I think for now, um, I'm trying to think if there's more I needed to add. I think that's all I really had to say about all of this. Um, do your due diligence, you know, don't take every single thing I say as like, as like complete fact. A lot of things I look them up and I read about them and I study about them and then I kind of try to paraphrase or explain what I think I learned um I know I make mistakes in things when I'm talking about them I try to be as accurate as possible and in the places where I'm not as maybe sure about things I usually try to like mention that but there's a lot of stuff that I might have been like totally wrong on a lot of it's going by memory and when it comes to like such complex things that I wasn't even like fully raised in, even though I've been doing this stuff since I was, like, young, um, um, like, I think, I can't remember what grade I was when I started learning Hebrew, like, actively learning it, but I, I remember I was in Mrs., Mr. Stokes' class, and he was teaching our Bible class, and I remember I had this little, one of those little, um, those little New Testament Bibles that has the John 3.16 in the front cover um, in like so many different languages and I had learned the Hebrew letters um, and I remember being in that class in the front row and my friend Johan was in the class and he was giving a presentation we had to pick like a Bible story or something and do like a an oral presentation on our written report and he did his on something about Moses or or maybe I did I can't remember and I remember sitting next to my friend Michael and 
looking at that little John 3.16 thing and showing him the letters in Hebrew. Um, he knew Japanese. He still does. And I remember showing him the ones in Hebrew. And then I remember Mr. Stokes being like, hey, you guys need to pay attention because we were like not paying attention. So I remember that. That's around the time when I started learning the letters and stuff. And I think I learned it on the Internet. I started studying off of Beverly Hills Chabad website. I think it was near the time one of the Rebbies passed away because they had that song that the the kids wrote. There were some kids um, from one of the Hebrew camps, Hebrew um, day camps or Hebrew summer camps or something, who wrote this song for the Rebbe. It was called Rebbe O Rebbe or something like that. And when you would click on the website, it used to sing that song as like the intro song like you could still click around but that song would be on the front of it so it was near that time period that I started learning about about this kind of stuff but so it's like ages ago guys like 10th grade I mean I was probably in like 10th grade I was either in 10th grade or I was in 8th grade I want to say 10th. I want to say 10th. Because um, I don't think I knew Johan that long. I don't think he was there when I was in 8th grade. I don't think. But anyways. Alright. Let me stop. Alright. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.